All I can say is Evan I am so Evan and I were completely supporting you through this entire rules thing by being quiet yeah, and I, behaving I, 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 I get, yeah. and asking appropriate questions. Yeah. The only thing we did was correct this from energy to cheese. And I That's just want to clarify that this is entirely your fault. Of course it is. Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we unearth any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up, it's a dockside showdown for Harbor Master bragging rights in La Havre, the inland port. Next, we roll dice and then fly them to the stars as we colonize the galaxy in Alien Frontiers. And lastly, we ring the closing bell as fast as we can as we corner the market in the classic card game pit. I'm your host, Celeste DeAngelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. Hi, I'm Evan Bernstein. And is there any more inviting sound than the shaking of dice? Hi, I'm Ed Povlider. And imagine then a room of 200 people shaking dice. I'm Mike Grenier, and let he who is without sin cast the first die. Hey everyone, we just got back from Dragon Con. And boy, are our arms tired. (laughs) No, Uh, no, it was great. Lots of panels, standing room only for some of them. It was a tremendous amount of fun. We met some amazing people in some sick costumes and made new friends and fans. Are those sick costumes on our Instagram? Oh, yes. All right, check it out. And we're heading on to Pax Unplugged, so stay tuned for more. And if you get a chance, guys, please rate us, review us, put us on Facebook posts, tweet, Instagram, retweet, articles, do a shout-out, mention us down at the local gaming store or the Taco Bell. Please pass it along. It helps us grow. And thanks for listening. Our first game up this week is La Havre, the Inland Port, designed by Yui Rosenberg, published by Z-Man Games, number of players 2, ages 13 and up, playtime 30 minutes. Okay, when we got this game in our last shipment, what were our first thoughts? Ed? We'll have to work our way around Dell, the harbor. Evan? I don't think I will harbor any bad will against my opponent. Mike? I've played many hours of the original Le Havre game, and I'm looking forward to seeing how this one stacks up. Before we let you claim ancestral rights to this game, Evan, tell us how it's played. In Le Havre, the inland port, both players compete to become the richest harbor master by acquiring resources and constructing buildings. Each round, new buildings are added to the market. Then players take turns, either erecting a building or using an existing building. When a building is not used during a round, it steadily increases in worth if used in subsequent rounds, which is tracked on a rondelle production wheel. The player who has acquired the most wealth after 12 rounds wins the game and the title of richest harbor master in the history of the galaxy. Wait, okay, maybe not that, but he wins the game. Just wins the game, wins the game. That is some epic bragging rights. Best harbor master in La Havre. Well, I mean, that's a, a big port city. That's, that's a quite a title right there. I think you get to wear a sash or something if you <laughs> if you achieve that, that lofty goal. Maybe even a nice little ribbon to put on your badge. 
Ed, you and I played this game. Funny, I don't remember any of that part of the game. Yeah. <laughs> I must have missed something. Evan, are you saying the theme of this game does not play heavily into the mechanics? You mean you didn't feel the harbor masteriness? You didn't feel the sea spray against your face as you stood there collecting cargo off the docks? Well, as a uh, Shakespearean thespian that I am, oh. I've had to uh, take on many, many different roles in life. <laughs> Never once have I had to assume the role of harbor master or anything <laughs> close to it. So therefore, I was approaching this game from uh, strict ignorance <laughs> to the <laughs> to, to the role and the uh, surroundings. Yes. So I suppose you could say I could not quite feel or taste the flavor of the game itself. Uh, but okay. but But I don't want that to be... A, a negative reflection on the game itself, because that was a totally different experience. So did you not realize while you were playing that you were actually supposed to be a harbor master? Did it not feel like that? For me, I did not get the sense of it. Was not able to make that connection. Perhaps other people were able to do that. It could have been any sort of environment, civilization, or what have you to be placed in in order to achieve this this entire building and collection of resources and other things. So it felt very templated in that way. So what kind of game would you say it is? I thought it was two-player, but not much else. Yeah, it's a two-player economic Euro game. So you're building an economic engine on an inland port. So you're not at sea. So tasty cubes and meeples and stuff? In the original game, this is based on La Harva. It's a big, meaty Euro game. And it had tons of... Restore chits and cubes and stuff you're collecting. But in this two-player version of the game, it streamlines it where you have a little resource display and you're moving just four cubes around it to keep track of all your resources. Oh, what? thank God. Only four cubes. I feel ripped off. <laughs> I feel so relieved. I'm like breathing softly now. And Mike's like, what? Four cubes? How is that a Euro game? So... Hold on a second. You're telling me there's only four cubes on the board? What do they represent? What do they do? Why is there only four of them? Well, there's only four of them. They represent fish, grain, wood, and clay that you are storing in your warehouse. Do they look like fish, clay, <laughs> grain? They have those colored, but they uh. are either cubes or... Markers. <laughs> They're cardboard markers. The cardboard marker has a picture of a fish, and the other one's just like a blue cube or something. That's correct, Mike. So is this all taking place on a board? Each player is issued two main components. One little board is their own warehouse. And then there's another board you keep beside that, Celeste, which is, in fact, the rondelle. Ooh. The rondelle is what's responsible for keeping track of the turns as they progress and also the effectiveness of the buildings that you're going to be acquiring during the course of the game. Now... Are you saying rondelle like a type of a ship or a roundelle like a circular thing? Uh, roundelle, but it's spelled R-O-N-D-E-L-L. Interesting. Okay. That is interesting. But you're but correct, Celeste, in that it is circular. It's a dial. And as each turn progresses, you turn your dial a little bit further. And that moves, that sort of shifts the production of your buildings. And it changes as each turn changes. When you remove the, the building off and put it back to the zero spot on the spinner is when you get to collect the resources. And based on how long you kept it there, you'll get more resources. 
The longer you let it build up, the more valuable it becomes. You risk other people snatching it before you if you wait too long. Oh, that would be brutal for me. <laughs> yes. And that is a key thing. You can use other people building if they pay them for it. But you know what? There's just too much clay there for me to ignore. I will pay Evan and take all that clay. Thank you very much, Evan. So they don't completely lose out. No, you get a little money. So you said each person has their own board. Does that make you feel like less interactive with each other? Yeah. Is it a lonely game to play? No, I don't think so. We're competing over the same buildings in the market. So if I buy the building, Evan doesn't have it. And I can use building on Evan's board. If you wait too long and it looks too sexy, I'm going to use his building <laughs> and take all those resources he was planning to use. My sexy buildings. Is there a lot to keep track of here? Is it a tough game to play? I would say the complexity level is easy to moderate. I agree with Ed in that it is relatively easy to follow. There aren't too many things going on in this game which will overwhelm you or you become paralyzed, analysis paralysis. I never felt that during the course of the game. I would think it also helps that it's only 1v1 too. You don't have a bunch of other people's boards to look at. True. I think one other neat mechanic in the game is that the production building tell you which way to move the goods marker on your warehouse. So it acts as a guide. It helps instruct you as to how exactly your markers and in which direction you need to move them. Oh, so it'll tell you something like fish moves up one or something like that? Right. So if it tells you the fish moves up one and you have it in the say three spot of your production wheel, when you activate it, you'll move your fish marker up three times, which is effectively nine units of fish. What was the most exciting part of this game? Like, what really got you wanting to win? I felt a sense of urgency as the final rounds were starting to kick in because I was looking at Ed and seeing what he was doing and trying to plot my course successfully for these last few very critical rounds in which, all right, this will be my path to victory if I can do this, this, and this. So I felt the tension in the latter rounds. I agree. I think the tension ramped up because just like any engine building game, the buildings are getting more expensive and more difficult to build, but yet much more valuable. So now you're struggling to find the action economy to be able to get the resources you need to get that Uber building you want. Oh, the Ooh, Uber, Uber victory building. building. Yeah. yeah. I totally hear where Evan is coming from because Ed has this way of build, of a slow build where it's like nothing to see here, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. All of a sudden, it's the second to last turn and you're looking over at Ed's stuff and you're like, where did all that stuff come from? Oh, it's like a bomb going off. Yeah, exactly. He's shoveling extra coal into the engine at that point. Yep, he's, it is like a bomb going off. All I of call sudden. it an Ed-splosion. That's <laughs> And I think a lot of these games are good like that because that's when, like, all of a sudden you're like, wow, that game, that building really made a difference. I didn't see that building being that good. And now it's like, whoa. Yeah, a lot of times if you played a game like this before, too, you'll know that near the end they sort of have a catch-up mechanism where some of the end points that you can get if you saved up enough can help you catch up with a huge building or a huge amount of victory points at once. Yes, I tend to get cranky right around here if I'm losing. <laughs> yeah, if I'm losing, this is where I get cranky. But you're absolutely right, Mike. Most of these well-balanced games of these, of these Euro types have a 
11th hour catch up mechanism that doesn't make the people who've been working all along feel badly, but it does feel compensatory to those who are behind. There is an opening. It definitely makes the people who've been working hard feel badly. (laughs) Trust me, I'm one of those hard workers. But also a question I have about this particular one, though, is did you feel like you knew what your path to victory was going to be early on? Or did you kind of start to formulate it as you went about halfway through the game? When you're playing the game for the first time, you're just like, oh, that building looks good. I want to have ways to get all the resources. And then eventually, once you have like, oh, I make a lot of money from Fitch. So I'm going to focus on fish production and milk it for all I can. Mm-hmm. Milk that fish. <laughs> that fish. <laughs> That's hard to milk a fish. No. Just so you know. They don't stand still very well. They don't. They're slippery suckers. <laughs> where do you think this game came up short? Is there anywhere where it's like, oh, I wish it was different? For me, I couldn't quite make the connection, the feel to being a harbor master per se. There was no role playing chances. There were no smells of the sea or low tide or anything (laughs) there are always role-playing chances no but i i get what evan is saying i agree with evan there's not a lot of role-playing in the game at all it it is definitely a euro game because the the art is the classic ue and clement von feel for me so i bought right into this as a euro game yeah, Euro games do have a classic art style that set the stage, and you can definitely see it on the cover of this box. Well, that's because that artist has done a bunch of Euro games, a, a lot of really popular ones. That's why I almost always see that cover, that his style art on the cover. It's like, oh, that's a Euro game. I'm going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury La Havre, the inland port. All right, Ed, what do you think? This Euro had cool mechanics, and like most UA games, I'm going to dig it up. Evan? It was a fun two-player game, and I'm looking forward to trying different strategies when I play it again. Dig it up. All right. Thanks, guys. And Evan, where can you find it? Used game stores online, and if you're lucky in your local community... It's still pretty popular because I've seen prices ranging from $45 to $100 to pick up this game. (laughs) So demand is strong. If you have thoughts about La Havre, the inland port, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our next game up is Alien Frontiers, designed by Tori Neiman. Published originally by Clever Mojo Games in 2010. Number of players, 2 to 4, ages 14 and up. Playtime, 90 minutes. Okay, when we blew the stardust off this find, what were our first thoughts? Evan? The box asks, do you have what it takes to colonize a new world? Well, do you? Mike? Look at all those colorful chiclets in space. Ed? These ships may not be able to dock where you expect. You may need a little bit of luck on your side. Do you want to hear what galaxy-class starships sound like hurtling through space toward cosmic dominion? At least that's what they sound like according to Alien Frontiers. But before we roll this review out of space, Doc... Evan, tell us how it's played. In Alien Frontiers, players race to develop and build colonies to control strategic locations on a newly discovered world. Your dice are the spaceships in your fleet. 
You will assign your ships to orbital facilities to earn resources, expand your fleet, colonize the planet, and block your opponents from useful areas of the board. Use alien tech cards to manipulate your dice and to break the rules. Steal resources, overtake territories, and do whatever it takes to build your colonies first. Do you have what it takes to conquer an alien frontier? Well, do you? Yes, let's do it. <laughs> what type of game is this? I think this is a fairly simple worker placement game. Ooh. Except your dice are the workers or the ships. Uh-huh. Yes. You're rolling dice to see how, how well they're working. So you could roll some lazy workers or you can roll some really active workers. <laughs> they're ships. Get it right. They're ships. They are ships. And it's actually not lazy. They're, it's funny. You <laughs> place them based on what you roll. What do you think of the dice in this game having that multi-purpose use, rolling and placing? I think it's a nice twist on the common worker placement theme. Yeah, I think they did a pretty good job at spreading out the numbers you need on the board, too, because it would be terrible if all the best stuff you can do was only when you roll sixes. Right, like, oh, yeah, then the game becomes just rolling the best. Mm-hmm. Well, I love rolling dice, as do you, Celeste. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you're actually using your rolls to make maneuvers, block things on the board, it's an extra level of fun. I thought it was great. So, these dice are ships. What are we doing with them in this game? We're bringing them to the orbital facility to activate actions. I love Basically. trying to frustrate Ed because he's so mature when he plays Basically. these games. He's so mature. It's hard. It's very hard Gosh, to break that him. that is depressing. Yeah, because the rest of us, certainly me, I deteriorate into a 10-year-old when I play these <laughs> games. Where's your So, I mean, to, to, it's very it's fun to try and why, break Ed Why are sometimes. your emotions getting the better of you? Yeah, how dare you, Ed? Sometimes they're flying to the moon to grab resources from there. You're bringing them all over basically to collect stuff for you or to take actions to get more dice. That could be as well. There's also a function in which you can use your ships to take resources and cards from other players. Yes. There's only two basic resources in the game. Fuel and ore. And you got to use them to do what? Build ships or build colonies. And colonies are the ultimate objective of the game. The first player to get all their colonies on the planet and the game. And there's several ways to get colonies onto the planet. There are three ways to build colonies. You can use it at the terraforming station, which you have to give up a die. Oh, losing a worker. Yeah, you're losing that. It's so dirty. I spent energy and ore building that ship, and now I have to crash it in order to get a colony on the planet. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the fastest way to do it. I hated losing dice, and I was determined not to use that space. You want me to give permanently give up a die that means i gotta roll less dice but by the end of the game i did it twice and you were hoping to roll it again that's not something you usually see in a euro game <laughs> losing your workers is very rare well it's a sacrifice and thinking about it as a crash landing is really brilliant evan <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what it is yeah well, the, the, the other traditional way of doing it is the colonist hub which is you need to move um one of your colonists using up six dice to get a colony on the planet. So you basically spend your entire turn just getting a colony down. Oh, no, it'll take it'll take more than one turn. Two, two turns. Yeah. Which is why the crash landing <laughs> feature is 
attractive to some. <laughs> it's like, yes, I have to give it up permanently, but I don't have to spend two turns to do it. It's like right here, right now. Let's do it. Bam. I, I feel like you'd want to do that later in the game, probably. It is a great 11th hour tactic. And then the last way to do it is the colony constructor, where you have to get three to the same, plus use up three ore to build a colony. Can you make it? I doubt it. I got to roll trips by a miracle. Christmas miracle. Get what we want here. Oh, it's Christmas. Come on, trips. Alien Frontiers Christmas right now. What are the right odds now? on this? On what are the odds? Dice? Uh, it's about like a... Come on! <gasps> Not even close. I think you had a better than 50% chance of getting two when you blew yeah, it. Nothing. I found that one to be the most attractive of the three options. However, you're limited because there's only two spots for players to utilize and that particular method of getting a colony down to the surface. And if somebody else is already there, their dice are occupying and it comes to be my turn, guess what? I can't use that option. I have to go the long route of doing the orbital station or I have to crash my dice onto the surface. It was excruciatingly frustrating for me to be blocked in these in these <laughs> things because I wanted to, I had a very specific plan and as evan pointed out <laughs> while we were playing celeste has no plan b you never do <laughs> so when a plan a is blocked i am really upset and this game was all about hey you got to get to that spot first or you may not get it an interesting part of the strategy too becomes how many dice you use at a time because some actions just take one other actions take multiple dice mm-hmm I was at first thinking, hmm, the ships are dice. They don't look like ships. They're just going to look like dice. But when I got into it, the colors of the dice are bright, and I was really feeling the theme. The colony markers were really cool, too, and they look just like giant versions of candy dots, don't Mm. they, Ev? I only found out after I ate my third one, but yes. (laughs) I posted that up on Instagram of you guys eating them, and the way you lined them up on one of the pictures looked like the candy buttons. Yeah, Evan's daughter, Rachel, actually laid that image out for us. She's quite the photographer, and she designed it to look like a paper of dots. Yeah, that's all I could think of when I saw it. (laughs) It made me want some candy. Yeah, this game might make you uh, want candy. I know it did for Evan. I think there's a picture of us actually eating one of the fuel cells. Are, That's right. Do not eat the yeah. fuel cells. Well, what those look like is they look like those little round cheese snacks that you un, you know you unwrap individually wrapped. <laughs> the baby bell cheese. Exactly. Yeah, I guess I was more in the mood for savory than sweet that night that we were playing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, the board is the giant planet in the center and all of the resource areas that you can go to surrounding it. And it's simple art, but really nice, very attractive. And I felt the theme throughout. I think it was very nice sci-fi art. It brought me into the theme looking at the board. What was your favorite part of this game? I think the, the alien technology cards are really cool. I didn't get to use them much, but they were great foils for other aspects of the game. Most of them allowed you to sacrifice them to do something pretty epic to somebody else usually, like mess up someone else's game. And when she says someone else, I think she means Ed, but yes. (laughs) The default is always Ed. You know he's going to be ahead, especially since Mikey's not there. I always try to give Ed a run for his money, but for some reason people see me as a threat and leave Ed alone because they think there's no way I can possibly confront Ed, so I'm just going to 
poke Mikey instead. Mike, just keep doing what you're doing. I don't. I wouldn't change a thing. Of course you wouldn't, Evan. It helps you to sneak one in once in a while. Shush! Give it away, my secrets. <laughs> I'm on to you, buddy. Hey. Well, I think the really cool thing about the the alien tech cards is they allow you to manipulate the dice. And being able to change the dice to your will is so helpful. Like, oh, if only that were a two. Oh, wait a minute. I can make that a two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for somebody who like me who's terrible at dice rolling, <laughs> I just want all the tech. Yeah, it's, it's great for both types of players. The thoughtful, strategic player like Ed and the, you know, full force juggernaut style player that I tend to be because the card had two modes, a slow and steady mode where you got to keep the card and an epic blow it up now mode <laughs> where you could sacrifice the card. As that game came to a conclusion or was coming to a conclusion, the blow up was occurring on everyone's hands. Sure, why not? You know, use what you've got. They're not worth victory points, right? So you just blow them up and get the best use out of them you can. Some of the cards are victory One points. or two of them, yeah, are actual victory there's points. There's two of them, yep. And talking about victory, there's also a strong area control element in the game. Did you happen to notice that the sections of the planet were named after famous science fiction authors? I did. Bradbury. Herbert. Asimov. The Van Gout Mountains. A tip of the hat to the geniuses from the 20th century in sci-fi writing. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury alien frontiers. Evan? Your dice are your ships, which is a very cool feature of this worker placement, and it's entirely replayable, so much so that I suggest you land your ships on the soil of this new world and dig it up. Mike? I like the clever worker placement mechanic they have, and it mitigates some of the bad dice rolling luck factors, so I'd say dig it up. Ed? This is a neat worker placement game that's easy to learn and added a new twist with the ability to use dice. While newer games may have grabbed my attention, I still dig this up for a player too. Worker placement games are not my go-to, but when the theme is as good as this one is, and you get to roll dice this much, I'm digging it up. Ed, where can you find it? A new 5th edition of the game is just released by Starlin in 2017, available for about 45 bucks. They are also releasing the Faction Definitive Edition Expansion, coming soon. If you have thoughts about Alien Frontiers, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We're at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Okay, our last game up this week is Pit, designed by Edgar Casey, Harry Gavitt, and George S. Parker. Published by Parker Brothers in 1904. Number of players 3 to 8, ages 8 and up. Playtime 90 minutes. Okay, when we got this game as our annual dividend, what were our first thoughts? Ed? Getting stuck with the wrong commodity at the pit. <laughs> Evan? I can't believe I have to play a game designed by Edgar Casey, who was a true believer in psychics and other nonsense. <laughs> Mike? <laughs> I don't care what it's worth. I want to corner the corn. This Parker Brothers game is older than Scrabble. Older than Monopoly. Heck, it is older than rich Uncle Pennybags. <laughs> Pitt, Pit, show me that happy cabbage. But before we ring the opening bell on this review, Evan, tell us how it's played. 
Okay, folks, listen up. In Pit, players will trade commodity cards to try and corner the market by collecting all those specific cards. Trades are offered by crying out the number of cards you want to swap. One, 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 three, one, one, three, three. But not their identity. The winner of the hand is the first to collect all of one commodity and ring the bell. The winner of the hand scores points equal to the value of the commodity, and the winner of the game is the first to 500 golden points. He'll be known as the fat cat for sure. That's right. <laughs> All right, guys, what type of game is this? This uh, is a classic open outcry commodity trading game. A cla of course, because there's so many of those. You don't want to confuse yeah. Pit with all the others. I mean, there are a few other games where you're actually yelling out what you got and trying to trade yeah. stuff. Back in the day, there were more. You could say Happy Salmon is an open outcry trading game. Yeah, yeah. I suppose you could It is say exactly that. the same type of game. It is wow, a genuine type wow. of game. <laughs> From Pit to Happy Salmon, how far we've come. This game is so old-timey looking. What version did we play? We played the Parker Brothers 1973 edition with the bright orange bellhop bell in it. A bell? <laughs> you hear okay. that? So, all right, who gave Celeste the bell? <laughs> I love all games with bells. Where did you get this game? Oh, um, Serena actually borrowed it from a friend of hers. Uh, they were on a little vacation away from all technology and they played a bunch of rounds of this and brought it back and told oh, me cool. all about it. Well, is the bell considered technology? I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not your cell phone. <laughs> it is such a basic and simple game, right? As simple as it gets, I think. You know, you're trying to collect all of the same commodity, so I want all the corn. What is the what's on the card, Mike? Almost nothing. There's a, the name of the commodity and a picture of it. And two colors, and that's it. And value as well. And the points. Yes, the points. So everybody's dealt um, a hand, and it says their cards are like corn three, right? Oh, corn 50, right. Yeah, you're trying to go to 500. If corn was worth three, you'd be playing a real long game. <laughs> yeah, it's a long game. I mean, it could uh, be hard enough trying to get the wheat, which was uh, 100. Worth 100 bucks. Everyone goes for the wheat, right, Mike? Well... I go for the wheat, of course, because I want to get more points per round because I'm thinking nobody's going to expect they can get all the wheat because everybody's going to want it. So they'll ditch it and then I'll get it. Uh, that uh, did not work out for me <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, because I think it's kind of interesting, the psychology of the value, because I was holding on to the wheat also. I was like, hey, if somebody doesn't <laughs> wheat, I'll try to collect them. So that's going to be the last thing I pass out of my hand. You basically pick a number of cards from your hand that you want to trade with somebody else. And it's generally one of the things you don't want to keep. And you'll shout out the number of cards you're trying to trade with somebody. And you have to trade an equal number of cards so your hand always stays at the same number. And you don't want to keep it because why? You don't have enough of it? Well, yeah. You want to try to get all of one kind. Your entire hand has to be full of Cornering one. the market. Exactly. Yep. Cornering the market. <laughs> Corn. You only play with a number of commodities equal to the number of players in the game. So this game, complexity, I mean... Oh, easy. As low as it gets. Deal the cards and start <laughs> playing, right? Pretty yeah. much. What What did you guys think of all the yelling? It's neat. I mean, it's kind of, kind of hard to hear when it's a lot of people all yelling the numbers, but it's cool. I mean, it's saying two, 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 <laughs> two. Anybody two, two, two? How about two? I, I have a remedy for that if that is the case. Just increase your volume. 
<laughs> yes. And then everybody's volume will be increased, but then yeah. increase your volume again. Just keep getting louder. Two, two, four. There it is. Two. Uh, where was that? Four, four. Joe. Two, 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 two. two. Uh, two. Two. No, not you. I don't want to uh, show you two with you anymore. Two. One. How about one? How about one? One, 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 one. I generally don't love frenetic games like that. They are my thing entirely, and I absolutely loved it. I'd play it every day. It's a it's a great cathartic moment of you know zen for me to yeah. be able to just be yelling gleefully and collecting things at the same time. It, no downtime. No the downtime. Game is real time, and it's and it's you know, right, right from the opening bell. Yeah. You're on. So that oh yeah, yeah, you're in the moment. After the first few trades, you can detect certain patterns that are occurring, <laughs> and you kind of get a sense what other people are trading or trying to accumulate in their hands. What worked for me a couple times in some rounds that I won is I decided to abandon my plan A. All right, I was going for wheat, but no, instead now I'm going for flax because everybody is trading their flax because every time I ask for three cards, somebody's handing me flax. Right. Now I ask for two cards. Someone else handed me flax. Okay, I'll switch. Give me the give me your flax. Everyone's yeah. getting rid of their flax, and then boom, you can hit the bell. Uh, okay, a one. Sure. Sure. See what happens. <laughs> one, one, one. One. Sure. See what happens. Joe, you got a trade. Two. Two. Right? I mean, two. Two. Sure. Two, two. No, he's got it. Five. You can't trade five. No, I can't trade <laughs> How many times did we end up trading back and forth the same exact three cards, like my three flax for your three flax? Quite often. And I try to trade with Ed, too. Oh, here's three flax. Ed doesn't. Oh. Flax is back. <laughs> Flax is back. <laughs> Flax is back. Flax, the Flax return. Flax is in. <laughs> what the Flax? <laughs> Did you get the sense that you were on the trading floor yelling for commodities? Maybe. Uh, I, I suppose so. I mean, I guess at its simplest level, it, it covered that kind of feel. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of fun yelling orders for a little while anyway. Was it brief enough, Ed, for you to not get sick of the game before you get to the winning 500 points? Uh, it's starting for me to get a little bit dull um, yeah. after, say, our seventh round, and we still were looking at another seven rounds unless somebody was getting wheat hard. A long, hard day <laughs> on the trading floor. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it gave you the real, yeah. real exhaustion feeling that you would get from the trading yep. floor. If you play with the maximum amount of people, eight people, in this game trying to get to 500 points, you better have patience because you're not getting there mm -hmm. quickly, especially if you're going for flax, which is only 40 points at a time. <laughs> yep. Trying and to get Evan to loves to stretch a game, so flax was his go-to. Only if I see other people are suffering <laughs> to extend the game. <laughs> it is, like many of these older games, it is an of-a-night game where they didn't expect you to play for 10 minutes, you know? They, they wanted to fill the hours. They expected you to light light your oil burners for your flames at home, and you know that would give you some light, and you'd play by the oil light. Put on the old timey music in the background and deal out the cards. That's right. <laughs> and now, explorers, it is time to dig up or bury pit. Evan. It's a quick party game, easy to learn and play, but it has no legs. I got tired of playing it after about ten minutes. Bury it. Take that, Edgar Casey. Ed? It's a fun, fast, easy-to-learn classic card game. While the gameplay is a bit too simple for my taste, if somebody else brought it to the table, 
I'd play it and dig it up. Mike? I'd play it with my friends casually, but this is never a game I'm going to reach for myself, so I say bury it. It's a fast-paced, loud-volume, tossing-your-cards game, and it had me at... Mike, where can you find this game? The 1973 version is probably out of print by now, (laughs) but uh, they've reprinted this game a lot. There are hundreds of places to get this game, and it runs between 15 and 20 bucks. And they all come with a bell. If you have thoughts about Pitt or 1904, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the exploring you've done. If you'd like more perks and content, including our new exclusive podcast, The Post Show, for just $3 a month, you can go to our website and click on Become a Supporter Today. Join our chat on our Discord server, and our Patreon subscribers get access to exclusive channels. Happy gaming, explorers! May your dice never hit the floor. May the fickle will of dice align with yours. May D4s be with you. <laughs>